Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. It was such a great scene. And that was not always my view, given that the... uh, the initiation of the Sopranos is now 20 years old. 20 years! Uh, I'm kind of caught up in all the hype about the series, and I went back this week, and on YouTube, I watched the final scene at, uh, what was it called, Holstein's? And I hated it. I I think, I think Alan Seppenwall was my guest when the Sopranos signed off and we talked about it at the time. I know I hated it, like a lot of other people. I don't hate it anymore. I kind of love it now. I, I don't know what accounts for my my change of heart. Alan Seppenwall has co-authored a book with Matt Zoller Seitz. It is called The Sopranos Sessions, and he joins me now. Thank you so much for being here, Alan. It's my absolute pleasure. Tony Soprano is dead. Wait, What? He's dead. It's obvious. So begins the debate in the book for which there's a transcript. Explain. 
So Matt Zollerseitz and I, we covered the show for its entire run at the Star-Ledger, which was the newspaper at the end of Tony's driveway. Matt did it for three years. <laughs> I, I, I love did that. Everything. By the way, I can picture him in his bathrobe. I, am I allowed to still say wife beater in terms of that T-shirt style? But I can picture him retrieving the paper. Yep, uh, it's, it was always a delight as, you know, the hometown paper being right there on the, you know, the biggest show on TV for a number of years. So we covered it the entire time. We, we were really obsessed with it, both because it was from Jersey, but also because it's one of the greatest shows ever made. And so uh, when we got back together to do this book, we knew we were going to have to deal with the ending in some way. Uh, and we finally decided it had worked in one of our previous books. We would just argue about it for a while and, you know, publish the transcript. Not only do you argue about it for a while, but then there are a series of sit-downs and you produce transcripts of them with David Chase. And, you know, finally at the end of your book, you get to that scene. And I thought it was quite revealing. It Well, first of all, you give an encapsulation of what Chase tells you on the penultimate question of whether Tony is dead or alive. Uh it was really interesting because Chase has always been reluctant to talk about the, that final scene. He wants it to stand on its own. And we had been wondering how we were going to get him to talk about it or if we were going to get him to talk about it in the final of the seven interviews we did with him. And just unexpectedly, in the middle of the sixth interview, I asked an innocuous question about just j- j- planning in general for the end of the series. And he blurts out without realizing it. You know, well, you know, I had the death scene in mind for about two years before we did it. Uh, and, you know, he kept talking, and Matt pointed out that he had just used the phrase death scene. And when David realized uh, what he had said, he uttered a profanity, and we all laughed for a very long time. But then it was like a dam had burst, and he actually talked to us for about 45 minutes about his intentions behind the scene without ever once actually getting into what happened in it, which is a very David Chase thing to do. Uh, quote, so if somebody says Tony got killed in the diner, they're not wrong, they're not incorrect, and then parenthetically you write, Chase doesn't answer that question. Yes. The scene is about death, but whether or not it actually contains the death of Tony or Meadow or the viewer or whatever your theory is, that's up for you to decide. But I what, what, I, what I thought you got out of him that was, was really instructive is he tells you that he had envisioned, uh, was it Holland or Lincoln? I forget which. Tony was going to drive through the Lincoln Tunnel in right. kind of a mirror of the opening credits to go see Johnny Sack. And the idea, and then you would cut to black there with the implication being Tony did not survive the meeting. And that's the death scene he was talking about. So the uh, the song, and in fact, let me just play a little snippet from the final scene. It's, it's uh, Holston's, right? Holston's is where it all yeah, in Bloomfield. In Bloomfield, New Jersey. And, and a little snippet of dialogue, and then another question I want to ask of Alan Seppenwall. It was work today. Oh, I'm doing is getting coffee and placing English phone calls. You may not realize it, but you are making contacts. It's an entry-level job. Fuck up. Right. Focus on the good times. Don't be sarcastic. Isn't that what you said one time? You try and remember the times that were good? I did? Yeah. Well, it's true, I guess. I feel like I felt 10 years ago in that I'm, I'm loving this guy that maybe I should be hating. 
that was really one of the most uh, groundbreaking things about the show was there had never been a series before built around someone who would have been a villain in anything else produced in American television for the previous 50 years. You know, even J.R. Ewing on Dallas, everybody loved him, but there was still like Bobby Ewing as the hero to kind of counterbalance him so you didn't feel like you were just experiencing his worldview. With The Sopranos, there was just Tony, so you had to you know go with him or not. And a lot of people found themselves really empathizing with this sociopathic mobster. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. You know, uh, Alan, I go to the movies with my wife or watch a television show with my wife and I'm I'm there for the gratuitous sex and violence. She <laughs> she gets all the messages. The messages have always gone over my head. And what I appreciate after reading the David Chase sessions, which is part of the Sopranos sessions is all of the the methodology, the thought, every every little thing had purpose. And for for example, I watched that scene when it first aired, and 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 you know had mixed emotions about it. But I never stopped to analyze. Well, well, why the ringing bell? And, and you know, you talk about that. Why why was it the journey song? What was the flip? of the journey, the B-side of the journey song. And what meaning, if any, did that have? All of those little details. 
Yeah, it's re- and it's amazing that on the one hand, so much thought was put into everything in moments like that. But there were also so many times when we were doing these interviews where I would ask David, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And his response would be something along the lines of, I don't know, it just felt right. And so there's all these, like, if you talk to real Sopranos obsessives, they will go on about the fact that eggs represent death on the show, and they can list, you know, a dozen examples of that. Uh, you know, M- Matt, my co-author, is obsessed with the number of times the number seven appears in the show. And when we start listing these things to David, he will say, no, that wasn't planned at all. We, I guess we just kept doing it. And somehow it works out and it creates this rich tapestry underneath if you really want to start digging in. But it all came from gut instinct rather than a plan a lot of the time. I hope everybody will go back and rewatch that final uh, scene. If you do, you'll remember perhaps Meadow having such difficulty in parallel parking. What was that all about? That's just there. It's there to create tension. It's amazing. If you think about what's actually happening in that scene, it's a family is out at an ice cream parlor to have dinner, and they're looking through the menu, and they're listening to music, and customers are coming in and out, and the daughter is trying to parallel park. It's nothing. But because of the way it's edited, because of the use of that song, it feels like the most tense you know, fraught moment in television history because you just assume someone is going to get whacked at any moment, and maybe ultimately Tony does, but the her taking that long to do it only elongates the tension. You, uh, you also got from David Chase the fact that he had considered Al Green's Love and Happiness as the song, and, and then you asked the question, what would the scene have been with that versus this? David Chase says, quote, God knows... I just felt that this was better. What is the thing? Strangers waiting up and down the boulevard. It just kind of felt like the show in a way, even though a lot of people think that song's a piece of shit. I don't happen to agree. It is, <laughs> it is, a, it is a perfect song for the Soprano family. I'm, I'm not, maybe it's like a Jersey thing. I don't know, but it just, it fits. It fits is what I want to say. Another thing about, and I don't mean to spend so much time on the final uh, sequence, but one other thing, you talk about the break, the breaking of the point of view in the scene. I know what that refers to having just rewatched it, but explain to everybody else. All right. So Tony walks into the into the diner, and this happens a couple other times in the finale. He will enter a place. The camera is pointed at Tony as he's standing in a doorway looking into whatever room he has just entered. And then there will be a very sharp cut, and suddenly Tony is on the other side of the room, um, like interacting with somebody, whether it's Janice or Junior, or in this case just sitting at the booth, you know, looking through the jukebox. And that is not the way we have been conditioned to watch uh, scenes in movies and television where there's sort of each scene has a clear point of view or it's sort of toggling between different points of view. So ordinarily the way that scene would look is you would see Tony, he walks in, then you get another cut to him walking to the booth, then you see him sitting down, etc. Doing it this way, it feels, it creates this disorienting effect where it's like suddenly we're watching Tony and then suddenly Tony is watching himself. What was the symbolism in it? Um, I, I, it's in part, I think, to help create this sense of, you know, impending doom that, you know, you could watch it. Not a dream. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's Tony. Maybe Tony dies when he walks into the diner and everything else else after that is him imagining it, you know, as he's ascending up or descending down more likely. I can't. You could read it a lot of different ways. I can't help think of Dr. Melfi without thinking, quote, psychiatry. It's just a racket for the Jews. Right. 
Livia. Where did that come from? Uh, Chase, I don't know, because Chase loved therapy. It was very good to him. He based Dr. Melfi on his own therapist from California. But, you know, but he based Livia on his own mother. And he based a lot of these people not necessarily on other family members, but on just people he grew up around in New Jersey. So I could certainly see, you know, him having heard someone say a version of that and him punching it up a little bit so it's funnier on TV. And he, he told you guys that's probably the most repeated line that people will come up to him and will uh, and will say. Um, it's something else about David Chase and the way he approached this. He, he didn't feel the need, as evidenced by that final scene, he didn't feel the need to satisfy all of our curiosities. And the two things that come to mind, Melfi's rapist, and the uh, the Russian. Yep. It's and people still ask him about both in addition to the ending and that's just not what the Sopranos was. The Sopranos like what does he say? Was, what is what does he say about, you know, why why did he not feel the need in those cases? Well, in the case of the rapist, the the story was over. The story ends as soon as Melfi decides she does not want revenge. As soon as Melfi decides I am a member of a society that is governed by laws and even though the laws in this case hurt me, I'm not going to go outside those laws and enlist this man to you know, do harm or murder to, to the man who, who assaulted me. That's the story. Anything after that, as far as Chase is concerned, is pointless. And as for the Russian, he just didn't care. It was, the Russian was kind of a means to an end to get Pauly and Christopher stranded in the woods. And once that happened, he was not interested in them anymore. And Terrence Winter, who wrote that episode, tried <laughs> for the next couple of years to get Chase to have the Russian come back in some way. And he planned out a scene where like, um, you would see him like doing janitorial work at a Russian mob front, and then you would like the camera would pan around, and you would see that like half his head was missing, and he was clearly brain damaged, and had never told anybody what happened to him. And Chase said, "You know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to get back to the Russian." So he didn't. <laughs> There's, I, I don't know where it is in the book. Um, the book, the book's a big book. The book's a 400 plus page book. But somewhere in here, I read that for Pine Barrens, which is one of my favorite all time uh, Soprano episodes that they he wanted to shoot it in a particular location. You got into the whole thing with David Chase of the portrayal of Italians. Yes. And, and do you, you know where I'm going with this? Yes, because you tell you know, it. The, there were some Italians and there were some New Jerseyans in general of any ethnicity who adored the show, and then there were others who felt defamed by it. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think they were trying to shoot uh, Pine Barren somewhere in Essex County, and one of the, the county commissioners, you know, felt offended and said, you know, over my dead body, will you shoot anything from your, you know, awful show here? And so they wound up, the Pine Barrens episode was shot in New York, I think up in Harriman, um, because the actual Pine Barrens would have been too long to drive to. But they tried to find a compromise in the Jersey suburbs, and for once a politician said no. And the kicker is, at least according to Chase in his interview with you, whoever that politician was, he ended up going and doing time. Of course he did. Because it's, it's, it's Jersey. Because <laughs> right, it's Jersey. Why, why do we love this show? Why do we love this show? Because it's great. Because, I mean, I know that's a simplistic answer, but it's just, it's so well written. It's so well directed. It's so well acted. Yeah. Um, the best yeah. part of doing this book was having an excuse to rewatch the show and to rewatch Jim Gandolfini and to gain this new appreciation of, like, the greatest dramatic performance in TV history. Uh, it's just, it's so artful from moment to moment scene to scene, episode to episode, season to season. There are definitely more consistent shows that have come since then, like Breaking Bad, like Mad Men, like The Wire. 
But at its peak, I don't think anything quite touches what The Sopranos could do. So I, I just have to read this exchange from the book. This is you with your co-author with uh, David Chase. And you're sitting there and you're talking about the final scene. Quote, when you said there was an end point, you don't mean Tony at Holston's. You just meant, I think I have two more years worth of stories in me. Answer from David Chase. Yes, I think I had that death scene around two years before the end. I remember talking with Mitch Burgess about it, but it wasn't, it was slightly different. Tony was going to get called for a meeting with Johnny Sack in Manhattan. He was going to go back through the Lincoln Tunnel for this meeting, and it was just going to go black there, and you never saw him again, and he was heading back, the theory being that something bad happens to him at the meeting, but we didn't do that. And then... And then your Matt, your co-author, says, you realize, of course, you just referred to that as a death scene. By the way, this is Sirius XM, so you're allowed, Alan. What was David Chase's response? He paused for a while, and then his eyes narrowed, and he said, fuck you guys. <laughs> and we all laughed and laughed and laughed, because I, I think he, he realized that he had, he had said too much, right. but... It, but then we talked about it. Oh, man. Hey, the book is, I hope you can tell from the intonation of my voice, great fun, well-read, well, pardon me, well-written. I like to think well-read, too. Well-written <laughs> and, 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 and a wonderful, wonderful thing for anybody who was totally into this show. So congratulations. It's called The Sopranos Sessions. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.